I want to share something with you. I want you to open your heart. And um, as I was reflecting on this new year, uh, and I'm going to have Vision Sunday. I'm going to talk about what we're going to do this year at the end of the month, all right? But we're going to start the year off right. And we're going to start it off by being biblical. How many knows that it's good to be biblical? And so as I look at Scripture, I want to see something that is biblical that we need to implement maybe today and start off the year right. So I'm going to preach on vision. I have goals, things that we need to do. You're going to hear about that later. But today, I want to talk about something that I think is very imperative that you hear and understand and that you get it in your heart and your spirit. Now, I am not preaching on any particular person, so I want to just preference everything I say. I'm not preaching on any particular person. I'm not saying anybody's living in sin. I'm not, that has nothing to do with anything. I'm just following the Scripture. There's a principle I see in Scripture, and I think it's imperative that we look at it and we follow the example of what we see in Scripture. This is not pinpointing or pinpointing fingers at people or it's not a hidden motive or anything like that. It's just, uh, I just felt the Spirit saying this is how we need to start off the year. And that we're going to take a spiritual bath today. How many enjoys taking a physical bath? Come on. How many has been around somebody that, you know, don't bathe on a regular basis? Do you want to be around them? You know, it's not something that's comfortable, right? Uh, so uh, we're going to take a spiritual bath. Everybody say spiritual bath. We're going to take a spiritual bath. Today I want to talk about repentance. Uh, it's not a subject you hear of often, but it's found all throughout the Bible. And uh, I, um, I want to live a life of repentance. I want to live a life of not self-pity, not, uh, but a life of contrition, a life that is surrender to God. And so I feel like this is the way we need to start off our fast tomorrow, and this is the way we need to start off our year today by looking at this just for a few moments. Uh, the Scripture says, and I have lots of Scripture, and you don't have to turn there in your Bible. All the Scriptures will be behind me. And the reason I have lots of Scriptures is because I just want you to see how important this subject is in the Bible. And since the Bible is our roadmap, since the Bible is our rule of faith and practice, I think we need to look at it. So I have several scriptures, many scriptures, but just pay attention to the Word of the Lord and just see how this should be imperative, not only for my life, but for your life as well. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and it will be behind me on the screen, Acts chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 37. Look at this familiar passage of Scripture, beginning with verse number 37. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, verse number 37. Now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard his sermon. Now when they heard this, they were all cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you, your children, and to all those who are afar off as many of the Lord our God will call. You see that phrase there in verse number 37. Look at the phrase. They were cut to the heart. They asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? we do. Father, add the blessing to the preaching of Your Word. Open our ears and our hearts. And in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 
A.W. Tozer once said it like this, and I agree with him. He said, God is more concerned about the state of people's hearts than He is with the state of their feelings. And sometimes we have become so feeling-driven, we are no longer truth-driven. God is concerned about truth. And if we're not careful, we can fall into an American theology instead of a biblical theology. And when you look at Scripture, you will see the theology of contrition, the theology of repentance. In the Old Testament, when God wanted to establish a new covenant, or when God wanted to do something in a nation, guess what the leader would do? The leader would call for the people to fast and to pray and to repent and have a a contrite heart before the Lord. That was very biblical in the Old Testament. And can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? Every time the leader called for prayer and fasting, and every time the leader called for the people to come together in a solemn assembly and have a heart that is reconciled to God, guess what happened? In every case in the Old Testament, God fought their battle for the year, and they walked in victory. Could it be that as we start the year 2020, let us look at the Scripture And let's see how they started their year. They started their year off right by having a heart that is contrite before God. A heart that is repentant towards God. You may not be living in sin, but that's not what this is about. You may be righteous, you may be doing everything right. But it's always good for us to have a spiritual bath. And it's always good for us to do reevaluation of our life every year, and to make sure that our heart is always contrite before God. Because Solomon said in the book of Proverbs that if you're going to guard anything, make sure you guard your heart, because out of your heart flows the issues of life. So, my friends, if there's one thing that i got to tell you for 2020, it is this. If you're going to protect anything, If you're going to look out after anything, if you're going to make sure something is protected, let's make sure your heart is protected. We have, we, we, sometimes we protect material things. We put great value in our cars. We put great value in our homes. We put great value in what we wear and our jobs. That's good and fine. But let's make sure that above everything else, that we guard our heart and make sure that our heart is always contrite before God. Because if not, I I know this for a fact, that your heart can walk away. Your heart can go backwards. Your heart can become hard. Your heart can become bitter. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God's problem with His people year after year is that their heart became hard. And what did God tell the people? You are a stiff-necked people. Their heart was hard. They would repent. They would seek God, but they didn't keep a check on their heart. Let me tell you something. If you don't look at the check engine on your car, you can, you, something can happen to the car if you don't make sure the car is serviced. And some of us, I believe, is on the journey of life and we're wondering what's wrong and the check engine of your heart is coming on and we're too busy working in life that we're not working on our life. And if there's one thing that i got to tell you this morning, you got to make sure you check the engine of your heart and make sure that it's working properly. Because if the heart is not right, nothing else is going to go right in your life. you got to make sure the heart's right. you got to make sure you're contrite and walking before God. 
You ought to make sure that relationships are pleasing to God. You ought to make sure your attitude and the way you feel is right and pleasing to God. You've got to keep it in check. Because if it's not in check, it's going to keep you in check and you're going to get in trouble in the end. You've got to keep. If there's one thing I've got to tell you, make sure you guard your heart. Because people are going to do things to you this year that you're not going to like. People are going to say things to you that's going to hurt your feelings. People are going to be rude to you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to walk away from you. You might even lose your job. Something might happen this year that might affect you. But if there's one thing that if you can keep a hold of, and that is your heart, if your heart is right and you keep check on your heart, no matter what happens to you, you're going to come through that thing. You've got to keep hold of the heart. Above everything else, you've got to check the heart. And that's what this is about. Because it's a hard thing. Let us go into 2020 checking the engine of our hearts to make sure that the light, and when the light comes on, we check it and make sure it's right before God. I'm preaching to myself. Listen, I'm preaching to the choir. Certainly, you may not need this. Maybe this doesn't apply to you. But listen, it sure does apply to me because anytime I preach a sermon, I'm always preaching to myself first. So I'm not leaving myself out because there are times... The check engine light comes on. I tell you, I think my check engine light comes on more often than I like it to come on. But you know what I'm saying? And I want to ignore it. You know, I want to say, there's nothing wrong. I'm okay. I can, I, I can make it another three miles. I can make it another 50 miles. I'm going to ignore the lights. I can make it. I'm, I'm bad to the bone. Got it all under control. Everything's fine got to check the engine of your life. God is more concerned about the state of your heart than He is about the state of your feelings. This is not a feeling thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. There are four things that will help your heart to stay right in 2020. Four facts about repentance. Number one, repentance is, number one, repentance is a change of mind and behavior. There, now get this. In the Old Testament, the word repent means this. Everybody look at me. The word repent in the Old Testament means this. I physically turn around and go the opposite direction. But in the New Testament, the Greek word for repent means to change my mind. So if you put two of them together, repentance is I physically turn around, go the opposite direction because I have changed my mind. So repentance means I do something different with my behavior because my heart has been changed. It is not behavior modification. Behavior modification says don't do that, stop that, don't do that, you're nasty, you shouldn't do that, you should be ashamed. That's behavior modification, that's manipulation. The true repentance is not self-pity. True repentance is acknowledging that there are things I need to get right, and this is displeasing to God, and because it's displeasing to God, I'm going to change my behavior. You see, Peter repented. He wept and repented and changed his ways. Judas wept and committed, took his own life. You see, both of them had sorrow. Both of them cried, but only one of them changed their life. And so, just because you're emotional don't mean you actually changed your mind. It doesn't mean that you changed your behavior because you are emotional. Repentance is a change of mind and behavior. The Bible says in Acts 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, look at the Bible. The Bible says, repent therefore and be converted. In other words, turn around, that your sins will be blotted so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, that's how we get revival, is having a contrite heart before God, that you may receive the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, a spiritual bath. A spiritual bath. The Bible says in Acts 26, 19, listen to the words of Luke. The story of King Agrippa. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This was Paul speaking to King Agrippa. He said, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judah, uh, Judea and then the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works. What? Befitting to righteousness. So not only do you turn to God, but you've got to make sure your behavior lines up with the change of mind. It's just not changing your mind. It's also your behavior as well. He says, I preach that they would turn to God and that they would do works befitting for righteousness. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 23, look at this. The Bible says, Jesus said this, but he who received the seed on good ground is the one who hears the word, understands it, indeed bears fruit, and produces some a hundredfold, sixty and thirty. In other words, if you hear the gospel, you receive it into your heart, and you understand it, it will bear fruit in your life. What glorifies God is not the shouting. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not running around the building. It's not even your offering this morning. But what glorifies God is what Jesus said to his disciples, is when you bear fruit, my Father is glorified. So my question today is, are you bearing fruit? Do you look like Jesus? Are you growing in God? Are you being challenged in your faith to be more like Jesus this year than you were last year? Are you bearing fruit? Is there more generosity in your life? Is there more prayer in your life? Is there more of a desire to give and to do the things that God has asked you to do? You're not called to digress. You're called to increase and move forward in the things of God. I hear an amen. The Bible says in Luke 15, this is the pinnacle of repentance. This is the prodigal son. And guess what the prodigal son did? The Bible says that he left his father, took his inheritance, and then the Bible says at the end of the story, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father and say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's happening? He first said, he said in himself, look at it. The Bible says he said in verse 15, I will, he said within himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have bread that I should go hungry? The Bible says he came to himself. In other words, something happened to him internally, and then guess what happened? The Bible says, I will arise. He physically arose, went to his father, and said to his father, I have sinned. That's what you call contrition. That's what you call reconciliation. That's what you call righteousness. Righteousness says, I have done this thing wrong, and I'm changing my mind, and I'm going to get up and go the opposite direction, and then I'm going to go to the people that I hurt, and I'm going to make it right. That's what you call true 
biblical contrition and reconciliation and repentance before God Almighty. You cannot repent before God and not repent before people. And the reason why the reason why God's blessing doesn't flow upon some families and the reason that God's blessing don't flow in some people's lives is because you're confessing things to God, but you haven't yet learned that if you've done wrong to somebody, you must make it right. Whether they receive it or not is not left up to you. It's all about what God wants to do in your life and through your life because what's happening in you is greater than whatever happened to you. Can I hear an Amen. This is what you call true biblical contrition and reconciliation before God Almighty. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand this morning and say, preach on, preacher, a little bit? Is there anybody in the building that's excited about what God wants to do in your life this morning? Is there anybody that's excited about what God wants to do through and in Christ's point? Because we have stepped over the place of, of comfortability and we have stepped over Jordan and we're getting ready to possess that's the promised land that God has for us. You know, hold on. Do you know why? The children of Israel was possessing the land in the book of Joshua. Am I right about it? God says, I want you to go and possess the land. And I, the, every place that you put your foot, Joshua, I'm going to give it to you, Joshua. So Joshua raised up the people. He gave them a vision. And guess what they did? They got on board with Joshua and they started marching to possess the land. But what happened is that they came to Jordan, Jordan, the river Jordan, and God parted the river. But you know what? The Jordan River actually means death. It's a place of baptism. It's the same place that Jesus was baptized. It's the same place the disciples were baptized. It's the same place that John the Baptist was baptized. Jordan represents death. And before you cross over and you get to the promised land and before you get to the place that God wants you to go, sometimes you've got to go through Jordan. Sometimes you've got to go through death. Sometimes you've got to go through sacrifice before you get to the place that God has for you. You see... We, we, want, we, want, we want Canaan land without Jordan. We want the blessing without Jordan. We want the blessing of God and the favor of God without us going through the Jordan River. But I don't know about you. I know there's a few of you here that you're determined that 2020 is going to be the year that you go into your blessing, that you go into Canaan land. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I want to go all the way through? I want to go all the way through. I don't know why I'm so excited this morning. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is a change of mind. Number two, the call of repentance is the message of the New Testament. You can't get away from it. It is the message of the New Testament. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. Hebrews 5 verse 12. Look at what the writer of Hebrews said. And I quote, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He's saying to these people, listen, you're elementary. You should know this stuff. You should know this stuff. And then the Bible says, Hebrews 6.1, what was the stuff that they should have known? Hebrews 6.1, therefore lay in, lay in the discussion of the elementary, elementary, do you see that? Elementary principles of Christ. What is elementary? What is the elementary principles of Christ? It is repentance, salvation, 
Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. In other words, the writer of Hebrews said, the elementary thing that's found in the Word of God that all of us should know is that we should repent from our dead works. The first message of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1. Listen to this. This is the first message of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the message of Jesus, his first sermon, was this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first message of Paul the Apostle is found in Acts chapter 20, where he's recounting his, his message to the king. He said this, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught to you publicly and house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. It is the message of Paul, and it should be the message of the church today. Not some kind of self-help message and not seven steps to a new you. It's seven steps to kill that old nature on the inside of you. It's seven steps across Jordan, death, until you get to the promised land. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, listen to the words of St. Luke. He said this, recounting the story of Emmaus. Then he said to them that this is written, And thus it's necessary for Christ to suffer and be raised from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of this. What our witnesses are? He said you're a witness that he still forgives sins. You're a witness that there is still hope. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I remember when I was deep in sin and I was lost and undone and I was going down to the pit, but the moment I confessed my sin, it was like a river that flooded my soul. It was a glorious day. The burdens of my soul was lifted away because I came before God with a heart of contrition and repentance. And let me tell you something. The Scripture is clear that if we repent... If we repent and if we believe the gospel, there will come a time of refreshing from the presence of Almighty God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 verse 30 that God at one time overlooked the ignorance of people. But now, but now, God commands us all to repent everywhere. He no longer He no longer overlooks our sin, but commands us now to repent. He commands us now to change our mind. He commands us now to change our behavior. Why? Because you've got to check the engine of your heart. You've got to keep an eye on the heart. Because if not, the heart will take you places you don't want to go. It makes you say things you don't want to say. And it makes you pay things you don't want to pay if you don't grab a hold of the heart and protect the heart. Repentance not only is a change of mind and behavior, not only is the call of repentance is the first message of the New Testament, but God commands us to repent. He commands us to repent. You say, well, pastor, do we have to repent if we're Christians? Yes, because the Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 1, listen to what John is saying to Christians. He said to Christians, my little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not, but if you do sin... You have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. So Christians will sin. Christians will mess up. But thanks be to God, there's forgiveness. Come on, I said thanks be to God, there's forgiveness. I love it. And if anyone sins, you say, Pastor, I've been in church a long time. I'm sinning. If anyone sins, the saint or the sinner, the old and the young, if anyone sins, it's a promise. If you sin, you can go to Jesus who is your lawyer in heaven and he will make intercession before the judge of the universe and he will say, listen, they committed this sin. They don't deserve forgiveness, but my blood still speaks on the altar and because my blood is still on the altar, there is still forgiveness not only for you but for all humanity. If anyone sins, there's forgiveness. Don't you let the devil tell you there's no forgiveness. Don't you let the devil tell you there's no hope. The Bible says in Luke 13 verse 3, the Bible says, Jesus said, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. You will perish. Who was he speaking to? Christians. He was speaking to his disciples. Unless you repent, you will perish. Repentance brings life. Repentance brings life. If you, if you, if you want life to come back to you, do a heart check in 2020. It brings life. The Bible says in Acts chapter 11 verse 18, the Bible was speaking of these Jewish believers, and I quote, and when they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying that God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Because repentance brings life. Repentance brings life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.25, Timothy, or Paul said it like this, in humility, correcting those who in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they will know truth. You cannot know truth unless you repent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I get up here and preach truth. It doesn't matter if I tell you Jesus died and was resurrected and he's glorified. It doesn't matter because you will not listen to the truth unless you first repent. That's why people reject the gospel because they first cannot repent. You, you have to hear the truth after there's repentance. You repent first. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to what? Salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings death. There is a godly sorrow to it. Repentance is more than emotions. Repentance is more than emotion. Judas, Judas was sorry. But he didn't repent. Peter was sorry, but he did repent. Both of them expressed emotion, but one of them truly repented and changed their behavior. Repentance is not measured by how many tears you shed. It does involve a deep feeling. There is feelings involved. It is emotional, but it's more than that. Repentance is a God-centered change in your heart and in your behavior. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It's not an emotional state. It requires behavioral change. It's a God-centered change. The choice, it's conviction. Repentance requires confession. You cannot repent unless you confess. Confess. You cannot repent unless you confess. One of the things I love to study, I love to study church history. I, I've made it a practice of my life to study it. And if you go down throughout church history, the first 300 years of Christianity, the church required confession of sin. The Bible is very clear that we have to confess our sins one to another that you may be healed. They thought, the early church thought this, it is not enough 
just to confess your sin to God. For if you brought sin to the community, you must confess it because confession is a sign of humility and when you don't confess, it's a sign of pride. Confession. It must con- you must confess. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If, there, if you've sinned against... I'm not saying you need to confess all your sins to people. I'm saying that if you've sinned against the community, there needs to be confession. If you've sinned against the community... There needs to be confession. The circle of confession should not go out. The circle of repentance should not go outside the circle of confession. So whatever you've done wrong, you confess it to that person, not not to everyone. If you've done it against the community, then you say it to the community. If you've done it to the person, you do it to the person. You don't go tell everybody else. It depends. And so repentance has to involve confession. 1 John 2, 1 The Bible says, my little children, these things I write to you. If anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father. You've got to confess it. The Bible says in Luke 15, verse 17, I've already read this scripture about the prodigal son. What did he do? The Bible says that he came to his senses. But what did he do in verse number 18? The Bible says he came to his senses and went to his father and said, Father, I have sinned. In other words, there was confession. What about David? David, when he sinned with Bathsheba. David was so sorrowful that he went to the Lord. And that's where you need to confess it first is to God. But then you also read he confessed it to other people that he sinned against. The Bible says in Psalm 51 verse 1, he said, have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression. What did the prodigal son do? He acknowledged it. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is before me. Guess what? Do you know what the word confession in the Greek means? Everybody look up here. The word confession in the Greek in the New Testament means this. To say the same thing. So when I sin before God, I say what God says about the sin. When I confess... I say the same thing that God says about the sin. That's what it means to confess. He says, my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Repentance is the fruit of God's goodness. Why do we need to repent? Because God's good. That's why we need to repent. Why Why does our heart need to be contrite before God? Because God is good. That's why. It's not to condemn you. It's not to make you feel bad. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching on repentance? Because it's a scriptural thing. It's what the children of Israel did at the beginning of every year. They always want to keep their heart right. They wanted to go in the year with the right heart because they knew that if the heart was right, they could face whatever situation they could face. And how do we make sure our heart is right? We make sure our heart is right when we are walking in contrition before God. Not self-pity, Not legalism, because you can live in legalism. You can live in legalism like, oh God, I've sinned today. Oh, I'm never good enough. I've sinned. I've got to ask for forgiveness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just keeping your heart in check and walking in a loving relationship with God that if there is something, the Holy Spirit will put a spotlight on that subject and you are quick to make it right because you are keeping an eye on the check engine of your life. It's not to make you feel bad. It's not about self-pity. 
It, we do it because God is good. The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4, the Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4, what does the Bible say? Oh, that you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's God's goodness. You see, sometimes we preach that you're going to hell, you need to make it right, you need to stop it. No, no, no. There's a time and place to say that. But listen, we repent. We come to Jesus because Jesus loves us and He is good. And His love compels us to the altar. His love compels us to make it right. He loves us so good, how can we sit there and not make it right? He loves us so much. 2 Peter 3, 9 the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some of you count slackness. But what is He? Long-suffering to us. Not willing that we should perish, but that we all should come to repentance. In closing, repentance doesn't end with the initial conversion. Some people think that when I got saved, everything's fine. My heart's good. But the Scripture teaches something else. That you should be continually evaluating your heart, taking a spiritual bath. James spoke to Christians. Christians, believers. To the twelve tribes scattered abroad. James chapter 1 verse 1. He in the book says this to Christians. He says these to believers. He says, therefore, to these Christians, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And guess what he says to Christians? Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Sinners not in a positional state, but in a state where they sinned. Because they're adoption into Christ. So when we sin, he's saying, cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Don't be double-minded about it. Isn't that interesting? He's quoting the same thing that David quoted. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he that has clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. He's echoing what David said about the house of God. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. You remember the story of 1 Corinthians. There was sexual sin in the church. In the church, these are Christians. He's writing this book to Christians, and in the book he says, it's reported among you that some of you is in sexual immorality. He says, in such sexual immorality, I can't even name it among the Gentiles, that a man would have his father's wife. In other words, somebody has a stepmother. Having sexual relationship with his stepmother. This is in the church. Why? Because this man didn't check his heart. I'm good. Didn't check his heart. What happened? Verse number 2, the Bible says, and you act like you're puffed up about it. You don't mourn over it, that he's done this deed. Verse number 3, he goes on to say this, for indeed as I'm absent in the body and present in the spirit, I've already judged it. Verse number 4, he goes on, but in the name of Jesus, when you gather together along with the spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to give the man to Satan. A Christian? Yes, give it to him so that he could wake up, that his soul would be saved, but his body would be destroyed. 
He said that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, why? Because repentance, a heart change, doesn't stop with getting saved. As you see, you've got to keep an eye on it. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 2, he said this to Christians. He said this, open your hearts. He says, don't wrong anyone. He says, go to verse number 1 if you could. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, if you go to that one. He says, he says, this is what I want you to see. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, I think that was a mistype on my part. I want you to see verse number 1. He says it like this. He says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. He told these Christians, cleanse yourself from the filthiness of all this and be made right to God. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying this. I'm saying that as we approach this new year, let's approach this new year with a heart check. Let's approach this new year of making sure that if there's anything that's important in my life, if there's anything I need to check, if there's anything I need to stay up on top of, let me stay top on top of the heart. Let me check the heart. And how do I do that? You make spiritual evaluation of your heart and you make sure that you have a heart of contrition, a heart of repentance, always before the Lord. Not a heart of self-pity, not a heart that's legalistic, always being condemned of your sin. This is not about condemnation. This is about love. This is about forgiveness and reconciliation. If there's anything we need to, above all, we need to make sure that the heart is in right with God. Amen. And amen.